Today's podcast features an article from Discern Magazine. In the last episode of this series, Walk as He Walked, we saw that after Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, he was filled with God's Holy Spirit. Jesus would need this Spirit, the power, for what he would experience next. We read in Matthew 4, verse 1, that after he was baptized, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What would occur in that wilderness, which was likely the Judean desert, over the next 40 days would have eternal ramifications. Aside from his crucifixion, this was probably the most critical experience in Jesus' entire human life. In this experience, Jesus confronted his greatest adversary, Satan the devil, at his physically weakest point. But before we examine the confrontation itself, we have to understand why it was such a pivotal event, not only in Jesus' life, but the entire plan of God. What was at stake during those 40 days in the wilderness? To understand the seriousness of these 40 days, we have to understand this basic truth. God's plan of salvation required a Savior. Back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were given the choice, obey God or sin. They could have received eternal life and set their offspring on the path of righteousness and peace if they had chosen obedience. But the serpent entered the picture and tempted them to choose sin, and the rest is history. Paul later described the consequence of this choice in Romans 5 verse 12. Through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Death spread to all men because, as Paul later wrote in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Sin, as defined in the Bible, is breaking the laws of God. God's law beautifully defines how to live a righteous life. But when we break those laws live unrighteously, we bring about sin, which brings about death. But even though God's laws are wonderful, they're great. In fact, in one place, Paul calls God's law holy, just, and good. But we also have to understand that God's law has another side. It has a curse attached to it. That curse is the death penalty that hangs over the head of every person who breaks that law. Because Adam and everyone after him broke God's law and sinned, the curse, the death penalty, has hung over all humanity. But God's purpose for mankind was not for us just to commit sin and then die for eternity. No, he has a much greater purpose for us than that. His purpose for every human being was to have the potential to receive eternal life as children in his family. His greatest desire, his purpose, his plan is that we fulfill that potential. But that couldn't happen if everyone were to sin and die as the curse demands. So God's plan included a way to address this question. That was through a Savior. God's plan included a Savior who would take the curse, the death penalty, upon himself to make it possible for all of us to be saved from that death penalty from eternal death, and have the opportunity to live forever. But in order for God's plan to provide a Savior, someone who could take that curse, two conditions had to be met. Number one, the Savior's life had to be worth more than the sum total of everyone who would ever live and die throughout history. And number two, 
the Savior had to live a perfect, sinless life in the flesh because the Savior could not take the curse upon himself if he had earned the curse himself. He had to be completely guilt-free of that curse in order to take it on himself for everybody else. Now, the first requirement was fulfilled when God the Word, the second being in the God family, willingly emptied himself of the powers and glories of divinity to come to earth as a flesh and blood man, Jesus of Nazareth. Because he was God and all things were made through him, according to John 1 verse 3, he could die for all humanity. His life was worth more than the sum total of the entire creation because he was the creator. All things were created by God the Father through Jesus Christ, the one who became Jesus Christ, that is, the Word. Now, the second requirement would be determined by Jesus Christ himself throughout his life. Would he remain perfect or would he sin? At this point, we need to pose a very important question. Could Jesus have sinned? Was Jesus Christ capable of sinning? The answer is yes. Becoming flesh meant that sinlessness was not a given for Jesus. Jesus Christ was not some kind of robot programmed to be mentally and physically incapable of sin. Had he been unable or incapable of sin, living a perfect life in the flesh would really have been essentially meaningless. His victory over sin and temptation would have been a foregone conclusion from his birth because that's how he was programmed to live, if in fact that was true. No, that's not true. In order to live a perfect life and, and in order for that perfect life to be meaningful and a meaningful example for us, failure had to be possible. Jesus had to deliberately decide to resist and reject sin every second, minute, hour, and day of his 33-plus years of life. He had to willingly reject sin. Again, he wasn't programmed like a robot to reject sin. He had to make that choice because if he had sinned, even once, he would have disqualified himself from being the Savior. But he wouldn't have just disqualified himself as being the Savior. He would have also disqualified himself from being king of the coming kingdom of God, removing Satan from his throne as God of this age. So God's plan to establish his kingdom on earth categorically depended on Jesus living a completely perfect life and resisting temptation, again, every second of his human existence. Jesus had to succeed where Adam failed. That's why those 40 days in the wilderness, those 40 days of temptation were so critical. Because if he had failed at any point, if he had given in to temptation at any point, the entire plan of God would have been eternally terminated. Jesus literally carried the fate of the entire world on his shoulders. Now let's turn to Satan and his role in this temptation. What was his motivations? Why did Satan tempt Jesus in the wilderness? As we begin to consider the answer to that question, first consider the meaning of his name. Satan, in both the Old and New Testaments, means adversary. Satan the devil is the adversary. He is the opponent. He is the enemy of God and his plan. The Bible reveals he was created as a perfect angelic being, one of the most powerful and glorious and majestic of all the angels. But something changed in him over time. 
Through pride, his faithfulness to his creator morphed into arrogance and lust for power. This resulted in his mounting an angelic rebellion to try to overthrow God himself and enthrone himself as the Most High. We read about that in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 through 14. Now that was Satan's first attempt to overthrow God and his plan. And of course, that attempt dramatically failed. It was an abysmal failure. His creator easily defeated him. Now later on, many years we could say later, he tried to subvert God's plan again by tempting Eve and Adam to eat the forbidden fruit in the garden, bringing sin into the human realm. Though he did succeed in causing sin to enter humanity, his efforts did not derail God's plan because God already had a provision in place for a savior if man were to sin. We read that in 1 Peter 1 verse 20. Now, as we go through the record of the Old Testament, we do see Satan appearing again and again, either by name or, or by implication, doing things to try to derail or obstruct God's plan by attacking his people. Sometimes his efforts failed, but at other times he did successfully lead some astray. But despite his limited successes, he was never able to completely sabotage the plan. But when his creator came to earth as a man in the first century, Satan saw his greatest opportunity. He understood that if he could influence Jesus to commit just one sin, no matter how seemingly small, he could end the plan of God once and for all, which of course is his greatest mission. He knew that if he could convince Christ to sin, he could squelch mankind's hope of ever being forgiven of sin. Without the opportunity to have a savior and to be forgiven of sin, no one could be released from the death penalty. Without freedom from the death penalty, eternal life in God's family would become impossible. In sum, he understood that without a Savior, there could be no salvation. So his motivation was to kill the Savior, to destroy the plan of God and make salvation for any human being impossible. But there was also another, even more sinister motive behind Satan's efforts to tempt Christ. His goal wasn't just to embarrass, weaken, or delegitimize Jesus Christ. When we really understand what was at stake, he was trying to murder mankind's Redeemer. He was trying to murder his Creator. He was trying to murder the Christ. Remember that if Jesus had sinned, even once, the death penalty would have come upon him. The curse of the law would have come upon him. And as a result, Jesus would have had to die eternal death for his own sin. We know Satan is a murderer. He's called that in John 8, verse 44. His desire was to tempt Jesus to sin in an effort to end his life forever. He was trying to murder his creator. As Satan stood there face to face with Jesus, Satan was, in a sense, making a second attempt to overthrow his creator, this time by tempting him to sin and earn the wage of eternal death. If Satan had succeeded, if Jesus would have sinned, Jesus would have died for eternity and the Father would have remained alone for eternity, without his Son, without a family. Without Christ as king over the kingdom of God, mankind would have had no hope for salvation. By trying to tempt Jesus to sin, Satan was both trying to murder humanity's Redeemer and to maintain his authority and freedom. So as we contemplate the epic confrontation between Jesus and Satan, 
it's important to grasp how much was at stake during those 40 days. The entire plan of God and the very life of the Son of God were on the line. When we read about those 40 days through this prism, the confrontation becomes even more momentous. Jesus would emerge from that period of 40 days in the wilderness either disqualified as Savior or sinless and spiritually ready to take on any temptation that would be thrown at him the next three and a half years. Literally everything, God's entire plan, hinged on the outcome of this monumental confrontation. In the next episode in this series, we'll examine the clever temptation tactics Satan used and how Jesus dismantled and defeated each one of them. We'll see how his example can help us defeat the temptations we face as we strive to walk as he walked. For Discern Magazine, I'm Eric Jones. Thanks for listening. For more information from today's featured article, visit lifehopeandtruth.com.